0: Welcome to Vineyard 61's weekly podcast. We hope you'll be inspired, challenged and encouraged by this week's speaker. For previous messages, go to our website, vineyard61.org, or subscribe via iTunes or SoundCloud. Good morning to you. Good morning, everyone at Ballam. And to those listening online, and to those potentially on the podcast at some point later on this week, those who are at Battersea and Westside this morning have the privilege of hearing from Tabitha and Kelsey, which makes you kind of wish you could be at three places at once, right? Last week, we began a preaching series on the power of the church. Viv reminded us of the importance of gathering together like this, and that when we do, that the power of God is here. I'm going to unpack that a little further and talk about what it means to be the people of God as we've seen that reflected throughout the Bible and church history. What's really going on here when we gather together? Do we just rock up to worship, to listen to a nice talk, and maybe get some prayer? Or is there something more intentional going on? I heard it said once that the local church is the hope of the world. The local church is the hope of the world. And I thought, that's nice. I know if someone wants a pint, they go to the pub, like we're gonna do next Sunday. If someone wants a coffee, they go to a cafe. But if someone wants hope, do they really go to church? Because to most people I know, the church seems more like an embarrassment or an empty building a place of hypocrisy, or even ancient history. And yet, we see churches up and down the country, opening up as warm hubs, food banks, and even homeless shelters. That's clearly a matter of life and death for some people. So despite the perception and the statistics of decreasing church attendance, I don't think we're doing too badly. In fact, for those of you who are familiar with church history, you'll know that that is what the church has always done. We have always cared for the vulnerable, fed the hungry, healed the sick, educated people and provided sanctuary for those whose lives were at risk. In fact, when the early Christians set out to establish new churches, one of their commissioning requirements was to remember the poor. That might suggest that the power of God was almost, maybe, something they took for granted. But remembering the poor was something they needed to be intentional about. Their churches would have had slaves in their midst amongst the congregation. Children and women sometimes who were treated like property. No safety net for the hungry, the sick, the widowed, or the elderly. And they had plagues, persecution, and a pagan empire to contend with. So remembering the poor was a necessity, and about as radical as you could get. In our times, we have our own issues to deal with. You may have heard that the word of the year for 2022 was perma-crisis. A word describing the feeling of coming out of a pandemic only to go through a period of war, inflation, political instability, and rapid climate change. It reflects the compounding crisis that we saw in 2022. And the reality is, these have not been good years for many of us. In fact, one psychotherapist put it like this. If we had to create perfect conditions for emotional shutdown, for fear, anxiety and distrust, and indeed for addictive traits to flourish, we could hardly do better than COVID-19. Solitude, isolation, and the lack of touch are proven risks to health and morbidity. But if the church is more than a social club, as much as we love the Hagen and Hyde, and it's more than a social care provider, despite the necessity of remembering the poor, how does the church, this church, respond to something like that? What are we here for? What are we doing? And what do we have to offer? The church, the Big C Church, has been described as an organization which exists for the benefit of its non-members. It stretches back 2,000 years to those first believers and across timelines and cultures. It is an extraordinary thing to pray the words of the Lord's Prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And to know that there are Christians in the Middle East today that would recognize those words as much as they would have done in Europe in the Middle Ages. Because we are united, we are bounded together by a shared story, a shared history, a shared presence of God. Viv also reminded us last week that the early church chose a Greek word, ecclesia, to use to describe itself, a word that was used as gathering, forum, or assembly. It means to call people out or together for a shared purpose. So what might our shared purpose be? We might say something along the lines of bringing glory to God. That is what we're here for through the things that we say and the things that we do, so that we might make him visible on the earth as his image bearers, that we might be people of love and power, people of mercy and justice, people of truth and reconciliation in the power of God. How might we do that? What if... What if the church was a people who were identified by their resemblance to Jesus and the supernatural presence of his spirit? What if we were a people who know what it looks like to see the kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, even if it was just glimpses of it in the hardest of times? What if we had a way of reaching, rescuing, and repairing people at their point of need, whilst also empowering and equipping them to pass that on to others? There would need to be something else to unite and sustain us, of course, despite our cultural, political, and demographic differences. We would need a shared story, and we would need to be witnesses to that story, making choices about our lives and how we spend our time together, because we know the author and we know the ending to that story. In fact, one way of describing the church might be to say, that it is a communal witness to an ancient story, lived out in the lives of its followers for the benefit of those around it today. Our little church here, with each site that makes up Vineyard 61, the roughly 120 vineyard churches and approximately 2,500 vineyard churches across six continents around the world, are just one expression of that kind of church. One flavor, one tribe that add what we have to bring to that big expression of church. Our intention is to create a space here where people like you can come as you are but don't have to stay as you are. Where they, like you, can have an encounter with God every time we meet. Where lives can be changed And hope can be renewed. But that doesn't happen by accident, does it? It doesn't happen by osmosis. Jesus made very specific claims about who he was. And then he demonstrated what that meant through his life, his death, and his resurrection. From his first days until his last, he taught people around him about the kingdom of God. And then he showed them what it looked like. The purpose of the church then is to do the same, to teach us about the kingdom of God and help us put it into practice, what we call making disciples and equipping the saints for the benefit of a hopeless world. Graham Tomlin, former Bishop of Kensington, describes it like this. The church therefore becomes a place where the qualities of life in the kingdom of God can be learnt and can grow. It is to be a place of personal and corporate transformation, to enable people to play their part in the mission of God to the world. The Bible gives us various metaphors for what that might look like. We see these expressed throughout church history and at the heart of what it means to be a vineyard, And we express that like this. this guy. At our foundation, we stand on the Bible expressing our theology, our study of God through this story of his kingdom. And we work that out in two ways. In worship towards God, in specific times of intimate, accessible, expectant worship, like we did this morning, and in the daily surrender of our lives. And through compassion towards those around us, moved by the Spirit to act on their behalf. It's not just self-pity that we feel. But it's seeing them, seeing the image of God in them, seeing their dignity and being moved to help them to work through it and journey with them to restore it. That is the power of God moving in us and motivating us with compassion. Put another way, we are intentional, and there's that word again, about our priorities to love God and love our neighbor. Our primary image for the church would be of a body, the body of Christ, of which Christ is the head and within which God dwells. Jesus gives us our aim and our focus. It is all about him. As he works through us, by his spirit, to be both our example and our empowering presence. From there, we reach outwards to grow existing churches and to plant new ones. And within this image of the body are four particular metaphors which help us understand how the church functions, how we become intentional about our purpose and what it looks like in practice each time we gather. So the first would be a household. In the New Testament, Peter and Paul, who were leaders of the early church, used the language of a building, an image of living stones to describe the people of God. Paul writes to the Ephesians in chapter 2, verse 19 to 22. You are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with the people of God and also members of his household. You are built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Here, Paul is reminding the church at Ephesus that although they may come from very different cultural, religious, and ethnic backgrounds, which once alienated them from God and from one another, they now share a common identity. They now come together in one household, which turns out to be like a temple A meeting place between heaven and earth, made not of stones but of people where God dwells among them. In the times in which this was written, most people lived in households. Multi-generational homes where they lived, ate, slept, and often worked and worshipped together. With their servants or slaves if they had them. All ages and stages in a shared space for a shared purpose. So this is our first image. The people of God, we, are like members of a household who share our lives together, carry each other's burdens, get in each other's ways sometimes, deal with our differences and take care of our neighbors. And the door to this house is always open. I was reminded of that this week when I listened to stories from each one of our sites At Battersea, a woman who lives on the estate where we meet walked into a service for the first time because she heard the sound of our worship and our door was open. And at Westside, a man found his way to Jesus just in the last week because the football program that Jan and Steve have run for many years was an open door for him. The hub that meets here at Balaam is another reminder of this. It is literally an open door where people in the community come in, sit down, muck in. And I think it was Heather that said this week, we're learning to be a family. Now, if you come from a very safe nuclear family, you might take for granted that everyone knows what that is, but they don't. And whilst the church can be the worst advert for a loving family sometimes... This image of a household has been handed down to us by the first Christians. It is what we are aiming for. That is the church at its best. There is no thing, no such thing as a perfect church because we make up the church. But it is the presence of God that holds us together, that purifies our hearts and our minds and our relationships, that purifies our attitudes to one another, that challenges our approach to each other, how we see each other, that challenge us to see each other in the image of God. And in it, we find a new sense of identity, belonging, and mission. Sometimes, however, it's not just a household that we need, but a hospital. Jesus said in Matthew 9, verses 10 to 12, it is not the healthy that need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, those who think they have it all together, but the sinners, those who know that they don't. Arriving at church this morning, whether it's your first time or your 500th, you may be in some kind of pain, caused by a difficult relationship, the perma crisis of 2022, a deep loss, overwhelming anxiety, or just a really bad week at work. Often, it's our bodies that carry that pain. Or we've just got sick and broken in some way. You may have had an accident, an injury, or an illness that you've not yet recovered from. We honor those whose job it is to care for us when we need it. Many of you in this congregation, online and at other sites, are healthcare professionals. We need you to care for our bodies and minds You may prescribe medication, counseling, an operation or recovery program. And we add our prayers to the works of your hands because all of those things work better when they are surrounded by a loving community and the power of God. The reality is that sometimes we come to Jesus because those efforts have been exhausted or they don't seem to be working or we just don't know where else to turn. But whatever the reason... However desperate or matter-of-fact we feel about that, whenever we gather, we can seek prayer for healing, whether it's physical or emotional. Many of you will have experienced this, even though you cannot explain how it works. All you know is that after someone prayed for you, things changed. A pain lessened or it lifted altogether. Circumstances shifted and perspectives changed. Addictive, compulsive behavior had no hold on you anymore. Forgiveness and reconciliation suddenly became available to you. Perhaps you even felt God's presence in the valley of the shadow of death in a way that you never thought was possible. I can testify to that. Because prayer changes things. And we are here for change. But the truth is, even when you come to church in that state, whatever state you come to church in, you don't have to have it all figured out before you get to do the things that Jesus did. We don't believe that here. You don't have to be well to pray for the sick. You don't have to have it all figured out to share your story. In fact, for many of us, the wonderful thing about church like this is that sometimes we just get healed as we go along. We show up week after week. We muck in, we get our hands dirty, we make friends, we worship. We get up here at the front once or twice a month, and we get healed. We get healed as we go. Another of the metaphors used of the church is of a school or classroom, or even a nursery. For some of us, it will seem like learning to walk again after maybe a painful divorce or redundancy. For others of us, it's like we're learning a new language filled with grace and truth for the first time. But learning in church takes place in two ways. Information and formation. Knowledge and wisdom, applying that knowledge. Skill and character. The thing is we all wear L-plates when it comes to being a disciple. We are all lifelong learners. And we value learning because Jesus began and ended his life teaching alongside signs and wonders. The book of Acts begins and ends in the same way, with the early church devoting itself to teaching alongside the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. They wanted to know what was happening. How do we do this? How can I experience that? How can I encounter God in that way? What do you mean when you're talking about prayer? How do you lead worship like that? How do I hear from God? How do I parent my children? How do I walk with boldness and courage? How do I find what Julia's talking about? How do I experience God in the same way that SP was up there this morning? How do I do this stuff? Teach me. Open up the scriptures to me. Show me. Let me have a go. That's what we're here for. In fact, Paul writes to Timothy, who was one of his most gifted leaders, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14-17. to 17. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and become convinced of, because you know those from who you learned it, and how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Sunday mornings just scratch the surface of what it means to live as a follower of Jesus, to know our story and live it out in every facet of our lives. But small groups and service teams are the best place for us to become disciples, growing in our commitment to Christ and to each other. And the church has been entrusted with this duty to open up the Bible for us in a way that we can understand and engage with, to introduce us to the Holy Spirit and learn how to recognize his presence, and to teach and train the people of God what it means to follow Jesus day by day. That does mean how to parent as well as how to heal the sick, how to hear God's voice as well as how to manage our finances how to deal with conflict as well as how to confess our sins. We all need the wisdom and the power of God to figure out what these things look like in our lives, in our circumstances, and our times. And in church, we get to work that out together. So the church is a household where we're welcome to do life just as we are together. It is a hospital where those in need are cared for and made whole. It is a school where we learn how to do life together in the kingdom of God. And it is an army where we confront the very real existence of evil. The church has a long history of engaging in conflict and going to war, often for all the wrong reasons. So we would do well to remember that we are first and foremost peacemakers. However, the church is a metaphorical army is one that we cannot escape from. Paul, writing to the Ephesians again in chapter 6, verses 10 to 18. Brace yourselves. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and the authorities and the powers of this dark world and the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Just as the Bible assumes the existence of God, it accepts the existence of evil. We can dismiss this as a pre-modern superstition, But even today, whilst we do not like to admit it, without the acceptance of evil, we're gonna have some difficulty finding an explanation for the atrocities that have happened, sometimes just in our lifetime. We may have found, as humanity, extraordinary ways to alleviate suffering. We have. But we are also still capable of the worst kind of evils. The New Testament describes this as godlessness, wickedness, and the suppression of truth. But it feels a lot more personal than that too sometimes, doesn't it? So much of what you and I encounter on a daily basis is addictive and destructive for our minds and our bodies and our relationships. We need to be much wiser about the ideas and the influences that we devote our time and attention to. So perhaps this awareness of evil and these bizarre spiritual weapons are not so strange after all. But we do not stand and face this alone. The church as an army means standing together, strengthening and supporting one another, fighting our battles alongside each other, and sometimes on behalf of one another. So there we are. The church is a household, a hospital, a school, and an army, which I hope gives you a renewed expectation about what it is that we're doing here on a Sunday when we meet in our small groups and every time we meet where two or three are gathered. I'm there, says Jesus. So you can come as you are and stay as you are if you like. You are welcome here whatever state you're in. But we're also here to train and equip you for life in the kingdom of God, to be the people of God. The church's dual purpose, then, is to be called out of the world towards God, to worship him only as a holy people, and to be sent back into the world to love and to serve, and sometimes fight with truth and grace and power. This gives us our job description. Did you know you have a job description, we are worshippers of God, laying down our lives before him, and we are rescuers and repairers, just as we are being rescued and repaired to be empowered and equipped to live that way in our times and our circumstances. One of the most faithful pastors of the 20th century, a man called John Stott, put it like this, For the church lies at the very center of the eternal purpose of God. It is not a divine afterthought. It is not an accident of history. On the contrary, the church is God's new community. For his purpose is not just to save isolated individuals and so perpetuate our loneliness, but rather to build his church. That is to call out of the world a people for his own glory. The world needs what we have. The world needs what we have. And if you're feeling like you don't really have anything the world needs right now, or you did once but you don't anymore, or you wish you did but you don't know where to find it, this is the place to find it. This is the place to find it. The presence of God is here. The world needs what we have. We don't say that arrogantly. We say that with all humility. Because if you know that you have been rescued and repaired, you know what it feels like to need rescue and repair. You don't have to have it all figured out. You don't have to feel like Captain America. You don't have to feel like Wonder Woman. You don't have to feel like any of those things to lay your hands on somebody else and invite the presence of God to come. And we're here to equip you and empower you to do that kind of thing. Because you are the church, you carry the story, you carry the presence of God. And where God's people are, that's where his presence is. And where his presence is, is his power. Let's stand. I'm going to ask the worship band to come back up. Uh, We've acknowledged that God's presence is here in this place. So when we say, come Holy Spirit, we're not asking him to turn up for the first time. We're just asking him to increase his presence. And often, I don't know if you've realized, but often what we're doing is actually asking him to increase our ability to receive his presence. We're saying, come Holy Spirit, and it's one of the oldest prayers you can pray. But actually, often what we're doing is saying, I welcome you. I open my hands to you, I open my heart to you, I open my mind to you, my life, my purse, my career, my future, my purpose, come, Holy Spirit. Many of us here this morning, as I mentioned earlier, might need God for ourselves, for uh, relief from pain, physical pain, emotional pain. The presence of God is here to meet with you this morning but I think many of us this morning want the power of God for ourselves. I think some of us feel like um, a pinball machine that's been unplugged from its power. And you can stand there and you can pull all the knobs and twiddle all the buttons. You can even, if you've ever seen people do that in a movie, shove it with their knee or with their side to try and get the ball in the right pocket or hit the right thing so that you get the jackpot. But actually, it's just come unplugged from the power source. Now, I hate to talk about the Lord, the presence of God, the Holy Spirit in a way that depersonifies him. Because that's not what we're about. We're about the presence of God is the person of God. But sometimes what we need to recognize is when Jesus is here, when his presence is here, it means power. Uh, We're going to sing in a minute, and I'm going to invite you to welcome the presence of God for yourself, the power of God for yourself. You can stick out your hands. You can kneel on the floor. You can lie on your face. You can come up here and do some star jumps. You can run around in a circle. I, I don't really mind. I don't think the Lord does either. But you can receive the power of God for yourself. If there's stuff going on in your life that you want prayer for and you'd like somebody else to pray for you, we do that too. We can do both things at once. So we're going to sing this song, and this song is your prayer, if you want it to be. We're also going to be here to pray for you. Now, when the Spirit of God comes, I'm telling you so that some of you know. Some of you know exactly what that feels like. Sometimes your, your eyes will be closed and your eyelids will start to flutter. Sometimes it might feel like electricity. Just a tiny, tiny ripple of electricity. And other times, it makes you shake. You might feel the the presence of God on your lips. You might feel burning on your tongue. You might feel that you want to stamp your feet. You might feel nothing at all. Just a peace. Just a stillness. Your feet might just feel rooted to the floor. It's all good. It's all good. This isn't about anyone else. This is about you and the Lord. So God... Would you come? Would you come as we worship? Increase your presence. We are your people. We are your church. You know the holes in our lives. You know where we feel bruised and battered. You know where we're held together with staples and sellotape and all kinds of stuff at the moment, Lord. You know us. You know where we're beaten and bruised. So come and fill us with your spirit and heal our broken hearts. Heal our relationships. Come and be in our workplaces. Come and give us what we need. Come and let your power fall on us that we would know your forgiveness and your restoration. But Lord, would you also come and empower us? Come and empower us, Lord. Fill us with your presence. Fill us with your spirit that we might be the hope of the world. That we might take your reconciliation and your peace and your power to those we know and love. Come, Lord. Come as we pray. Come as we worship.